look back on your life. Reflect for a moment. Think of three conversations that you had that have made a huge impact on the quality of your life ever since. Maybe they're all positive, and if so, lucky you. But maybe at least one was negative, and you think back, you know, I could have done that better. And had you done that better, your life would have been better ever since. Well, we can't take most things back in this world, but we can get better and make things better for our future. So how do you score yourself at the crucial conversations you have in life? This week on Rule Breaker Investing, our final installment of Authors in August, we're going to talk about the seminal work, Crucial Conversations. First, if you haven't read it, you should, and I believe will inspire you to do so. It's one of those books where the more people who've read it, the better off we all are. It's kind of like a network effects business model. And we're going to talk business some, but we're also this week going to talk about life and some of your biggest moments. It's Crucial Conversations this week on Rule Breaker Investing. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Well, it is Authors in August. We've covered Warren Burger's A More Beautiful Question in Week 1, and then we moved to Natural Born Heroes with our friend Chris McDougall in Week 2. Week 3 last week, Dr. Edward Glazer talking about Triumph of the City. So, a motley array, all nonfiction books, and we're going to close it out this August with another nonfiction book, Crucial Conversations. Now, I know many of my listeners will either have read this a few years ago as I did, or if you heard me mention it earlier this month, I hope you took a little time, maybe at the beach, to dip into this special book, which I truly think is a book everyone in the world should read, and we'd all be better off for it. So shortly, I'm going to welcome in my co-interviewer this week and our special guest. But before we go there, special announcement. This is the last week of August, and if you're a longtime listener, you know the last week of August traditionally is our mailbag, and yet we filled up the four weeks of this month's podcast with interviews. But we're not going to leave August without our mailbag. We don't do that at Rule Breaker Investing, so it's going to be a weekend extra. That's right. This weekend, Saturday, your traditional Rule Breaker Investing podcast mailbag, my hardworking producer, Rick Engdahl, who has to put in extra time, elbow grease, yeoman's work this week to do a second podcast. Yep, we're going to feature you and your questions as we do every month on this podcast. It comes out this Saturday. Now, Rule Breaker Investing every week comes out around 4 p.m. Eastern in the United States. We're going to be taping our mailbag less than 24 hours after this publishes. In other words, if you'd like to be featured on this month's mailbag right away upon finishing this podcast, drop us an email rbi at fool.com, because we're going to be turning around and recording our mailbag very shortly after we publish this interview on Crucial Conversations. Now, I will mention, since we've been spending 
all month long with authors and books that I'll probably give priority to questions or thoughts about our actual books and authors. So that's where we'll mostly focus our weekend mailbag. It probably won't be a long mailbag with motley questions about investing, business, etc. We'll do some of that, but we'll probably focus it a little bit on what we were focused on this month, the world of books, and specifically the ones we shared with you this month. All right. Well, now without further ado, Crucial Conversations. Well, I'm joined today by a fellow fool, Jeff Haslow. He's my co-interviewer for this episode of Rule Breaker Investing. Jeff is a treasurer. He's our treasurer here at The Motley Fool. He's a finance director, but so much more than that. In fact, he's also certified in the book we're talking about this week, Crucial Conversations, which, as you, our listeners, will quickly divine, is not just a book. It's Well, in some ways, it might even be a movement, but there's also a business behind it, which involves training for those who want to seek it. So, Jeff, you're our in-house expert in Crucial Conversations. I guess so, yes. I've been formally trained and have taught many classes since then. And that's wonderful. And not only that, but you kind of took initiative to bring Crucial Conversations into The Motley Fool. Yes. Uh, we were exposed to Crucial Conversations, the book, and the ideas behind it in a what we call Fool You class for managers here at The Fool. Our internal university, Fool You. Yes. And that inspired me to take the actual course. So I signed up for the two-day course uh, outside the company, uh, taught by the Vital Smart. Uh, certified trainers, mm-hmm. and got so excited about the content and what I learned there and the ac- applicability of these concrete concepts and ideas and processes that I said, we could teach this in-house and this is going to have an impact on the company. So I made the case and then got approved to go back and take the certification for training. And then we started training classes here. Wonderful. So this is a book that I just read on my own initiative, really appreciate just a couple of years ago. So I'd wanted to have this podcast happen. So here we are, summer of 2019, ending authors in August, having that conversation. But then when I found out that internally we had people like Jeff Haslow, who was more versed in it than I was, I was like, let's have a co-anchor here. Let's have a co-interviewer to interview our special guest this week. And that's Dr. Emily Hoffman. Now, Emily is the Vice President of Product Development and Training Delivery at the company Vital Smarts. That's the organization behind the book, Crucial Conversations. Vital Smarts' mission is to help people achieve greatness by turning proven behavioral science principles into learnable, repeatable skills delivered through exceptional learning experiences. Jeff, is that an appropriate adjective for your own experience? Was it exceptional? It was exceptional. So, it means you took exception to it. But a good exception. A good exception. I found it exceptional because (laughs) it's a course where I actually had concrete things I could take away and apply to conversations at work and in life. And it made sense to me. Absolutely. And because this podcast, I always like to think Rule Breaker Investing is one third about investing, one third about business, and one third about life. We've at least got the back two thirds covered this week as we welcome in Emily Hoffman. Emily, welcome to Rule Breaker Investing. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, David. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And Emily, I want to get out of the way right up front. So while you are a prominent player at Vital Smarts, uh, as I've introduced you, VP of Product Development and Training Delivery, that sounds like a big part of Vital Smarts. You're not technically one of the co-authors of the book, of which there are four. That's right. There are four authors. The book was uh, first published back in 2001 by Carrie Patterson, Joseph Rennie, Ron McMillan, and Al Switzler. They also founded the firm Vital Smarts, which I joined in 
2006. And my role has been not so much around the book, but around developing and then delivering the training that Jeff spoke about earlier, which is really where we take the concepts and the ideas from the book and give people an opportunity to learn and practice them. All right. And I, I mean, I, I feel like you are kind of the face of the company in a lot of ways. It was hard to try to track down one of those co-authors. Somebody's off to Europe. This sounds like they're gallivanting and succeeding in business, or maybe they're not even fully involved. But we're talking to a very prominent person within the business, and I know that you're a spokesperson uh, at conferences and all the rest, maybe chief fan of Crucial Conversations. And let, let's start it right there, Emily, with, I feel like we're using a phrase that a lot of our listeners may not know exactly what we're talking about. So what, Emily Hoffman, what is a crucial conversation? So we define a crucial conversation as a very specific type of interaction, and it's characterized by three defining features. The stakes have to be high, so it has to matter. The consequences of the dialogue have to matter. Mm. You have to have um, opposing or differing opinions. If we all agree with everyone and we're just nodding our heads, it's not crucial. So you've got high stakes, you've got opposing opinions, and then the third element that is really the kicker is that strong emotions come into play. And when you take those three things, high stakes, opposing or differing opinions, and strong emotions, and you mix them up together, that's when a conversation really turns crucial. And the skills that we give people are around how to handle those really high stakes, difficult conversations. And we're going to talk more about that in a sec. But before we do, let's could you give us a few examples, Emily, of what would be an example of a crucial conversation that I could relate to if I'm a business person or just a fellow wayfarer on the path of life? Yeah, sure. So a couple of them. Right? Say you're in an executive meeting and you're trying to decide how to make uh, how to how to invest your dollars. What the right headcount plan is? Should we be doing layoffs? Should we not be doing layoffs? Um, those. What, how are we going to deal with the recession that we think is looming? Do we agree that there is a recession looming? Those kinds of conversations. The stakes can be really high, and as people get into them, there's often very differing opinions at the table. The place where emotions tend to come in is when I really care about my perspective and my point of view, and maybe I think you don't care about it, or you're not being respectful, or you're not hearing it, or you're wrong, and you're taking us down a wrong path. All of those thoughts can create a lot of emotional response in me, either defensiveness or aggressiveness, etc. So those are some conversations that we often have in the workplace. That being said, I, so I started training Crucial Conversations about 13 years ago. And um, when I first started going out to organizations, I had a strong belief that the skills we were teaching would be applicable to conversations that people had in the workplace. The ones I've talked about, um, I train a lot in healthcare, so respiratory therapists and nursing staff speaking up to physicians or surgeons when they see something they're concerned about, those kinds of really difficult conversations. I was training a lot about that. But what I found in these classes that I trained is more often than not, at the end of the class, a learner, a participant would come up to me and say, this is super helpful. I'm wondering if you could give me some ideas about how I should talk to my husband, my mother-in-law, my next-door neighbor, my adult child, right? And the kinds of conversations they're having in their families and their communities around things like drug addiction, 
uh, failure to launch, kids that are not getting out of the house when you want them to, really difficult conversations uh, between spouses around finances or intimacy. Those are really crucial conversations, too. And what I've loved about working with this material over the last 13, 14 years is as much as we are helping businesses succeed, I believe we're also helping individuals, people, families, and communities. Well, certainly these conversations really do. They, they're the fabric of our life in office, outside of office. And the more we can get better at them without ever probably expecting to be perfect, the better off we are. Emily, let me ask you some, because I think for, for some of our listeners not yet familiar with the book, uh, I hope they're inspired by our conversation to read into it and learn more. But they're probably hearing phrases like tools, or there's kind of a self-consciousness about this that a lot of us probably don't think about when we have conversations. Yeah, I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about the first third of the course, which is working on yourself first, which I found extremely eye-opening because a lot of people plunge into conversations or plunge in thinking they know everything or they know what they want or how they feel, and, but they don't really examine themselves and how you see that as being a part of the course. Yeah. So great question. And and, uh, let me speak first to David's comment about tools. I probably will use that term tools and skills uh, pretty frequently because I think one of the things that's powerful about crucial conversations, I often, well, let me say it this way. I often tell people it's not enough to just read crucial conversations, right? It's actually a fairly entertaining book. It reads pretty quickly. It's great for the beach, that kind of thing. But crucial conversations is not a cognitive science. It's not something I need to understand. It's something I need to be able to do. It's a performance art. So it is really about saying, can I learn something and then use a skill or a tool in a very behavioral way? So Mm. we really try and offer up specific behavioral skills in the book that people can use. And as Jeff was saying, a few of those, a handful of those, are really come in the first third when we say, you have to start by looking at yourself first. So often a conversation blows up, right? And you get angry and I get angry and we're both defensive and either we're yelling or we're just sulking and going to our own corners, right? And it's so easy for me to look at it and say, you are such an idiot, right? And you did that wrong and I wish you would be different and why can't you be more competent? And we focus outward. It's our ego coming out to defend ourselves. And what Crucial Conversations does, it says you have to start, if you want to be successful in a conversation, if you want a conversation to go differently than it has before, to go better than it has before, you have one option, which is to change the way you enter that conversation, to change the you that you bring to that conversation. I can't change the other person. I can change me. So we really talk about how do I work on myself first? And there's a couple of great skills. I'll talk briefly about two of them that I love. The first one is to say, I need to focus on what I really want here. What is my intent when I come into that conversation? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, it's our intent, our motive, or what we call our heart that drives our behavior. So if I can get my intent right, I'm going to be successful. And if you think about, in fact, I'd love all of our listeners to do that right now. Think about the last time you had a conversation that didn't go very well. When you think about that conversation, get in your mind, either you got really upset or maybe you cried or maybe you just shut down completely and thought, this is not worth it. I'm not going to say anything because I'll just get in trouble. Whatever it was you did, it didn't go very well. I want you to think about in that moment, what was your intent? What was it you wanted? For most of us, if we're honest about it, our intent was to save face, to avoid conflict, to blame someone else 
to be right in the conversation. That's pretty much always my intent with my husband, right? Like, I'm going to be right, and he's going to be wrong, and he's going to apologize to me, right? It's so easy to get those kinds of motives. And instead, what we teach people is to challenge yourself and say, okay, that's maybe what my intent was when it didn't go very well. But what is it that I really want here? And not just what do I really want for me, because that still starts very self-focused, but what do I want for that other person as well? What, what should they be getting out of our conversation? And what do I want for our relationship? And what do I want for our team or our organization? Having to go through that process of asking those four questions and really thinking about what is it I want that's how we challenge and get back to a better intent, an intent that will help us learn, uh, produce results, strengthen relationships, and ultimately want to hear the other person. So that's a great example. And Jeff, you were talking about this offline before we had our conversation. We we're just talking about it together. As a trainer, um, about a third of the whole effort of the conversation needs to occur before the conversation ever happens. And it's this kind of self-examination, Emily, that you're talking about. You mentioned that there are kind of two tools you're going to hand out. That's the first one. What's number two? The second one is what we call master my stories. So as I told you earlier, a crucial conversation is defined by high emotions. And typically those emotions take us astray in a conversation, right? We get kind of a fight or flight response. We call it silence or violence. I shut down or I get really aggressive in the conversation and I'm driven that way by my emotions. So what we teach in Crucial Conversations is a way to master our emotions. And in order to do that, you really have to understand that our emotions are driven by our stories. They're driven by the interpretations that we give to events. Often we think that our emotions are caused by other people or what other people have done. And you can hear that when you hear yourself say, oh, he just really frustrates me or, oh, she just annoys me. We think that what other people do creates an emotional response in us, but it's not true. The science doesn't show that. The science, in fact, shows that it's our interpretations and our judgments, our inner processing of what we've seen and heard that creates an emotion. It's the story we've told ourselves about why he did that or why she did that that creates an emotion. Mm. And what that does is it unlocks tremendous power because it says if you can learn to engage your stories, to process them, to cognitively challenge the story you've told yourself, you can actually create a different emotion in yourself, a healthier emotion, an emotion that will make you want to return to dialogue. Now, one of my assumptions about human nature, and I've said this before on Rule Breaker Investing, and I stand by it, I hope the science bears it out, <laughs> but Emily and Jeff, it's that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. So somebody's late for the meeting. If it's us, it's like, well, I was trying to be on time. If it's them, it's like, Dave's late again. right? And so instead, if we reverse those two things and try to judge others by what we perceive to be their intent, hopefully a positive one, and ourselves by our results, I think that leads to a better meet. Yeah, so I absolutely agree with that, uh, David. I think you're right on in that. And the thing that I often teach people in the class that I want to be careful about is that, that shift of focus, right, where I judge them instead by um, give them an openness and say, okay, there could be lots of reasons they relate to that meeting. What that does is that allows me to challenge my story and change my emotions. But what I don't want to do is give a free pass to bad behavior. I still want to be able to go address it. I still need to have the crucial conversations 
say about your perpetual tardiness or your poor results or, or whatever Guilt, it is. Sadly, that, guilty as charged. <laughs> whatever it is, it's frustrating me. I'm not going to say, like, let me give him the best of intent, like, you know, let me be kind, let me judge not, right? I'm not going to say that just so I can let you off the hook. I'm saying it and I'm reengaging with it so I can change my emotions so when I go talk to you about it, we have a really good conversation that's like, hey, Dave, why were you late? I don't bring all my irritation and frustration there, but I don't avoid the conversation either. One of my favorite questions where you, while you're doing that process is why would a rational person behave that way as you're looking at the other person? That there are stories. There's a, there's a story, I think, in the book or either in the, the uh, course materials about somebody tailgating you all the way and flashing their lights at you and you're getting very angry at them and then they pull into the emergency room of a hospital. <laughs> and right. suddenly your anger wow. goes away and you understand, oh, I was judging this person for completely the wrong reason. That's such a great example because it, that the fact that your anger can go away so quickly is evidence that the anger was caused not by the tailgating, but why you thought the tailgating was happened, the story you told yourself. And the moment your story changes, your emotion changes as well. So when we stop, we take a breath, we ask ourselves, you know, what what do we really want? And how does that affect us, our emotions right in the moment? It, it makes me think, Jeff and Emily, that it's a higher order of thinking. I mean, a lot of us, it's hard to observe ourselves briefly within a conversational context and then plunge back into that conversation and behave better. Emily, is that a skill that we all need to develop or is it already there inside us and we just need to let it grow some? Help me understand how I can be more self-consciously observant and reflective in the context of crucial conversations. I think it is a skill that we can develop. And I say that because I've seen people who haven't had the skill develop it. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, some of your listeners are probably saying right now, but wait, I know some people who are just naturally good at it. And here's my, um, my anecdotal evidence about people who are naturally good at communication. <laughs> it's that they actually have parents or teachers or school friends who are naturally good at communication. I actually think they've learned it, but they just learned it a long time ago. So I do think when we get to the workplace, some people do seem really naturally gifted at it, but it's not that it's not a skill. It's that it's a skill they've already learned. Um, in fact, a lot of what I do is talk to people about how can you model these skills for your kids in your homes so that those kids grow up with the skills. That being said, I do think that you can create that awareness in yourself, but it is a conscious effort to say, I'm going to pause and I'm going to reflect. For most of us, when we start, it happens outside the conversation, right? Either one blew up and I have to go back to my office and think, wait a second, why did I do wrong there? What happened? Okay, now I'm ready to re-engage, right? Or it's before a conversation. I know I have one. Uh, that's going to happen. And I think, hey, I took this course called Crucial Conversations, or I read this book. I'm going to think about this beforehand. And I take that thoughtfulness in it. As people get better, though, it is like any other skill. The mm. more you do it, the better you get at it. And people can develop that capacity to take that time and to monitor themselves in the moment. All right. My conversation with my friend Jeff Haslow and Emily Hoffman will continue. But first... If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Many companies have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time, too many resources, which can hurt the bottom line. Well, 
Let's introduce then NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform giving you the visibility and control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR all instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with its free guide. It's entitled, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. Who wouldn't want to do that at netsuite.com slash Fool, that's netsuite.com slash fool to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash fool. Okay, so we've talked about the first third, which is working on ourselves. We're getting ready to have this conversation. So now let's have the conversation. And I'm going to throw out another crucial conversations term, the pool of shared meaning, which is the meaning of the different people having the conversation. And I'm going to throw one of your own quotes at you, Emily, where you said, people who are at the best at crucial conversations no, it's the responsibility to get the other's meaning into that pool. This is one of those things that I think is a, sometimes a little counterintuitive for people when I first teach it to them. Here's a way to think about it. So, as Jeff, you were talking about this pool of shared meaning. We say our goal in a crucial conversation should be to enlarge the pool because we believe, and our, our research bears out, that if you can get a larger pool of meaning, you're going to make better decisions and take more committed actions. Right? You'll get more meaning in, so we're going to get a more accurate, better decision. But also, when people have been heard and when they've been engaged in the process, they're going to be more committed to that action. So the goal is definitely to, um, to engage that pool. Now, here's one of the questions I'll often ask in training. So say, Jeff, you're in my training class, right, and we're having this conversation, and I'll say to people, okay, so Jeff and I, we need to have a crucial conversation here. Who's responsible for putting my meaning into the pool? And everybody sort of nods and says, well, you are, Emily, right? It's your meaning. You're responsible for putting it into the pool. Great. Yes, absolutely. You're right. Now, who's responsible for putting Jeff's meaning into the pool? And that's where usually about two-thirds of the class will say, well, Jeff's responsible, right? We're all responsible for our own meaning. Jeff needs to put his meaning into the pool. But that's where they're wrong, because the people who are very best at crucial conversations understand that the responsibility is not for my meaning. The responsibility is for the pool. Mm. And so, yes, I need to put my meaning in, because my meaning is valid and important and also part of that completed share, shared pool. But equally important is getting Jeff's meaning in. And my hope is that, Jeff, you and I have the kind of relationship where if I ask you what you think, you will feel safe and you will have trust and you will put that meaning in. But if you don't, then I need to help create the conditions under which you want to. Because, again, my responsibility is not for my meaning. It's for the pool. Love that. And, in fact, I'm quoting directly from the book here in this case. I'm looking at page 24. Quote, in a very real sense... The pool of shared meeting is a measure of a group's IQ, end quote. And I really appreciate that because let's take it to a business context. Uh, we want to have as high an IQ as possible as a decision-making group. And so that pool owned by all of us, and especially the leader in the context of that room, you want to get every good thought thrown in there and not have anything not be part of our group IQ. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, and let me add one more nuance to that. One of the other things we often teach is this idea that the health of any organization, team, relationship is a function of the average lag between identifying a problem and discussing it. 
So the discussing of the problem is, is filling that pool with meaning. But as you think again about that idea that the health of our teams, of our organizations, is a function of how long it takes us to get to that discussion, right? We see a problem and then we talk about a problem. For some organizations, they'll have the crucial conversation and when they do, they can fill that pool with meaning but it takes them a long time to get to that having the conversation. So what we want to help people do is have the skills to say, hey, I know I can have that crucial conversation, and what's more, I know that the sooner I have it, the better the result will be. Absolutely, and I think we'll send somebody to the book if they really want to find the full process of how to have a crucial conversation, uh, but there's an acronym where the A in the middle is ASK. And when I'm teaching this and I'm drawing the acronym on a whiteboard, I always draw the A as this big mountain uh, that they need to get over to see the other side. Because if you don't ask the other person for their story and their meaning and what they're feeling, you are missing half the pool mm -hmm. and you're going to end up with a very shallow pool. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and kind of related to that, um, Jeff, one of the things that we talk about in the book is this idea that that you need to create safety, psychological safety for the other person's meaning to come into the pool. And one of the ways we do that is by creating what we call mutual purpose. Um, sometimes that can feel hard, right? We can feel, in, in a crucial conversation, we can feel like we're at cross purposes. I want one thing, you want something else, and it can feel really hard to have a mutual purpose. But I have a foolproof, works every time way <laughs> to create mutual purpose, and this is what it is. I fully believe that every single person has an innate need to be heard. Not necessarily to be right, but I want to be truly heard. And what that means is if I'm coming to have a crucial conversation with you, say I'm having a crucial conversation with David here, right? We've got something going on. We need to have a crucial conversation. If my intent, my purpose coming into that conversation is to hear David, then we will have mutual purpose, right? Because his intent is to be heard. So I can always create mutual purpose by asking and truly wanting to hear what it is that David has to say. That creates so much psychological safety in the conversation. So you provide a lot of great tools in the book for making someone feel safe and different techniques, um, including some active listening techniques. Um, one of my favorites, the contrasting statement, I didn't mean to make you feel bad. What I meant to do was point out the importance of this rule. Uh, but when you've all done that, what happens when the conversation still goes wrong? If I can take a little time for a story, let me give you a story. One of our authors, Ron McMillan, so he wrote the, he helped write the book, he helped develop the original training, he consulted for many, many years with lots of organizations around improving their crucial conversation skills. So much so that he would say in his neighborhood where he lived, he was kind of known as Mr. Communication, right? He's Mr. Communication. <laughs> and that, that identity for him was really important to him, but it also made it incredibly painful um, professionally when his marriage of a couple of decades ended in divorce, right? And it was a place where his skills and his good intent and his... Um, desire and, and efforts to communicate and dialogue with another person to strengthen a relationship, it ended not with the success of that relationship, but with the breaking apart of that relationship and how painful that was. And he shares that really candidly. And so I, I feel okay sharing it with all of you because he gives then a contrasting example of some years after his divorce, uh, he had remarried and had then some stepchildren and was working on a blended family. And he had a daughter who was about 14 
And if anybody else has a 14-year-old daughter, that can be a hard relationship to get someone to open up sometimes. There's a lot going on in the life of a 14- and 15-year-old girl, and they can be some of the hardest folks, having been one myself, to actually talk to you. And this girl was struggling in school, and Ron kept trying to talk to her and get her to open up, and he would use the skills of asking and paraphrasing and mirroring and all the skills we teach in the book, and months were going by and nothing happened. But he kept at it, and he kept at it. And finally she opened up and they had a really rich discussion about some of the challenges she was facing at school. And it totally both changed their relationship, but it also changed the course of this girl's academic career because she was finally able to get the help that she needed. Now the reason I love it when Ron shares those two counterpoint examples is this. You can't engage with a, in a dialogue with someone that doesn't want to engage back. There's nothing you can do. You can do all your very best to create the safety and to invite that person into the dialogue, but you cannot make someone engage in a relationship with you if they don't want to. Um, and we have to understand the limits of crucial conversations, I think, to that extent. So one of the things that I've found in my own life and in those that I've coached and worked with about crucial conversations is the amazing thing is more times than not, you're going to be able to get them into a dialogue if, you, if your intent is really good. And on those times when you can't, you still walk away knowing that you've done everything you could. So earlier you used the phrase silence or violence. And Emily, this is something that I've seen in my own life. I think we all as human beings can relate. You're talking to the other person. The conversation has gone crucial. All of a sudden, they just go silent. They're just they're done. They're, they, they're not going to share anymore. Or they start. It's not always violent. They might start raising their voice or Jeff. They might roll their eyes or just show right. physically gesticulating that they are not happy with where we are. Um, so I'm curious, um, Emily, are you saying that even that person, the person going toward, quotes, violence, is themselves just acting out of feeling a lack of safety? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, actually, David. And I think this is one of the really counterintuitive but very powerful insights of crucial conversations. So what we talk about is that people move out of the pool, out of the pool of shared meaning, and they move out in two very typical ways, going to silence like you talked about, which most of us recognize as someone shutting down or pulling back, mm -hmm. or going to violence, which again, looks a lot different for different people. It can be that yelling, that aggressive, that insulting, that making personal attacks. But more often than not, it's me drawing on my source of power. So. Uh, I'm a manager of people, and sometimes when I get frustrated and I go to violence, it looks like me starting to interrupt them more, right? Like mm -hmm. that's an example of me going to violence. Aggression. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? It can be subtle or overt. But the thing that's so interesting about this is that moving out of that pool, people move out of the pool when they feel unsafe. So whether they're going to silence or violence, it's because they feel unsafe and they're trying to recreate safety. Now, again, for most of us, when I say, hey, people go to silence because they feel unsafe, most people will say, yeah, I get that, right? Like, they're shutting down, they don't feel safe. But the flip side is when we see people who are going to violence, who are being aggressive, or maybe just kind of obnoxious, right, interrupting, talking too much, over-talking, etc., we don't tend to look at them and say, wow, that person really feels unsafe. I should do something to help them feel safe in this conversation. Instead, we look at that person and say, 
there's a jerk. Oh my gosh. And in fact, I'm going to out jerk that jerk, right? Mm. Like I'm going to jerk his chain. And we get violent ourselves because we don't recognize violence as that lack of safety. Now, when we do, when we understand that both silence and violence can be a lack of safety, then we can take some actions to recreate safety. And the very best way to do that is by sharing our good intent. One of the really powerful ideas around crucial conversations is that Safety, psychological safety in a conversation is not created by content, by what we're saying. It's created by intent, why the person thinks I'm saying it. And so as I think about creating intent, there's two main areas I want to focus on. One is, do we have mutual purpose, which we spoke a little bit about earlier? And second, do we have mutual respect? And how can I create that mutuality of both purpose and respect to restore safety? Mm. So one of the things that is probably natural for a book like this, and I recognize it in some other books too, is to create mnemonics for readers. So you use phrases like start with heart, which we kind of spoke to earlier. That rhymes, that makes it easier for me to remember. There are, Jeff alluded to this a little while ago, there's some different acronyms in the book. And I'm going to skip forward to a later chapter now and just ask you, just as a, as a tool, just to break down one of those. Um, so we're going to talk about AMP skills, A-M-P-P, just as an example of a tool and a mnemonic. Emily, can you share what AMP skills are? Yeah, absolutely. AMP are the power listening skills, right? <laughs> so it's, if you think about like an amplifier, right, like an AMP a unit of power, AMP are our power listening skills. And it says, hey, again, I am going to use these skills to try and draw someone else's meaning into the pool. So it's really what a lot of people think of as active listening skills. The A in AMP stands for ask, which you just need to do sincerely and with a listening response. Um, sometimes asking doesn't work, though, so then we use mirroring. M is for mirroring. And this is a great skill when, when the audio and the video are disconnecting, right? So you're looking at someone, and you're having this conversation, and they're looking down, and their shoulders are slumped, and they look kind of dejected. And you say, is everything okay? And they say, yeah, everything's fine, <laughs> right? There's this huge disconnect between the words they're saying, the audio, and the video, what you're seeing. And so what you do is you hold up a mirror and you say, wow, by the way you're sitting in the chair, by the way your shoulders are slumped, even more generically, by the way you say that, it doesn't seem like everything's fine. You're opening and the possibility of them yeah. adding to the pool of shared meaning at that point. Exactly. And what you're demonstrating is, hey, I'm paying attention to you. I'm not just listening to you. I'm actually really paying attention to you. I'm demonstrating that my intent is to listen by paying attention to how you're saying something, not just what you're saying. So it's actually a, a demonstration of my good intent to listen and to hear. So that's the mirroring skill. Paraphrasing is the next. So A-M-P for paraphrase. Many of your listeners are probably familiar with paraphrasing. The key there is just not to parrot back what they say, but to actually put it in your own words to check for understanding. This is what I heard you say. Am I getting that right? Am I getting the meaning there? And then there's actually a last P in AMP. It stands for prime. And it's, uh, it's kind of a skill that's derived from the idea of priming a pump. So um, for those of us who, who maybe grew up on a farm, right, we've primed a pump. You know you have to put a little water into the pump of the well to get a lot of water out. And sometimes that was, that's what happens in a conversation as well. If I can put a little meaning into the pool, then I can get a lot of meaning out, right? So I, if there's something that like you're really hesitant to say, but I think, I think I know what's going on there for David, and I just think he's hesitant to say it, to name it, to articulate it, 
I can tentatively put that meaning in and say, hey, David, is, is this kind of what the problem might be? And so much safety is created when I name it first for you. And it's just amazing when you do it and you get it right, mm. people come back and they're like, oh, that's exactly what I'm saying, but I didn't know if it was okay to talk about and I was worried you'd think I was wrong and, or upset. And, and it's just like the floodgates open because you've, you've made it okay to discuss the undiscussable. When we're training priming, that's the one that's probably the most dangerous of the techniques because you're assuming the other person's intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a reason it's at the very end of the mnemonic, right? At the very end of the acronym, because you want to use that last and carefully um, and with a high degree of tentativity because you might be wrong. All right, so thanks for breaking down AMP, Emily, and that is one of, I'm going to say, several acronyms, sometimes, you know, longer letter, like five-letter word acronyms. Um, I'm curious do you feel like people can keep these in their heads? I hope we did AMP well enough that listeners of this podcast can walk right away and ask, mirror, paraphrase, and prime. But what's with all the acronyms, Emily? So there are definitely a lot of acronyms. And it's amazing. Some, some people really can get around them. Others, they just lose them. And that's okay. There is power to having a shared um, language, especially like when we train it in organizations and they can start saying, hey, I think you're telling yourself a story or what's your good intent here. There's power to that shared language. But I think more important is this overarching concept of we're having a crucial conversation. And, and let me tell you why that is. So Carrie Patterson, who's the, the lead author of Crucial conversation for years people would come up to him and say oh I read your book and it changed my life and that was always a really gratifying thing to hear and often he would say oh wonderful tell me more like what parts of the book impacted you and more often than not people would give a response that sort of sounded like well I didn't actually read the book but the title was really powerful <laughs> right? and, and people would come away just recognizing this idea of hey this is a crucial conversation. This is a conversation that's hard, and I need to be on my best behavior. And for a lot of people, simply that recognition of I need to be my very best self is enough to get through a conversation. I need to bring my very best intent. This is crucial. I ought to be paying attention will be enough for them. Now, Jeff, you're somebody who not only did you kind of bring this into Full HQ a couple of years ago and became a certified trainer in it, but I'm presuming that you use it I Presumably do. actively as one of our the, like finance fools here at the Motley Fool. Do you have any reflections or thoughts about you know not just being a finance director or treasurer, but also somebody who's really skilled at this? I do, and and it's it's not voodoo and mind games because somebody will you'll start. I know what you're doing. You're you're <laughs> stating your path, and you're you're trying to play a game with me. <laughs> and it's not that way. If both sides are trained in the. Uh, precepts, mm-hmm. you're going to have a much better conversation. So it's it's not a game. It's a just how do we have a better conversation? And it can work inside the business. It can work at home. Uh, a business example I can think of is I coached someone on how to deal with a very difficult but crucial vendor that we were already down a path of a relationship with. Mm-hmm. The vendor wasn't performing according to what had been agreed to. And instead of turning it into some kind of legal fight, it was we need to have a crucial conversation. I coach them on how to have that conversation, um, something we didn't quite talk about yet today, but it's a, how important it is to start with facts and not um, observations or feelings. Okay. And that that's the way to start the conversation and to get it on the right path. And they went and had the conversation and the vendor relationship was saved and mm. we're all in nirvana now. Yep. 
Um, from a personal standpoint, it comes up so many times because your goal should really be to keep that relationship harmonious and to, to get to your common goal of keeping your household in order. And it can be stupid things like taking the garbage out. All you want is the garbage taken out. That's that's the intent. So having the conversation that, you know, it makes me feel bad when the garbage doesn't get taken out because I feel like you don't respect my time that and you want me to do it is a much different conversation than yelling at someone to take the garbage out or mm. making them feel stupid for not taking the garbage out. Mm. A great, uh, very pedestrian example, but that's what a lot of this is. They're everyday experiences and just ways to conduct ourselves Better, And I want to pick up on one thing that Jeff kind of alluded to there. And I, I kind of let off with this a little bit of a promise at the very start of the podcast. But it's my impression, as you kind of just said, Jeff, that if everybody read this book, all of our conversations will be better. Sometimes when you find a book like this, you think, well, maybe I'll just read it and then I'll start getting my way more. So I won't share this with my business partners or my spouse. But it's it that's not the case. Am I right, Emily? It's, it's kind of you want everybody to know this and to be able to do it well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we often will say this around, because people will say, like, isn't this just manipulating people? And what I say in response to that is that manipulation is any skill or technique that when others become aware of it, loses its effectiveness, right? It only works in the dark. But the thing that's amazing about crucial conversations, if I'm having a crucial conversation with Jeff and he starts amping or stating his path or or uh, some of the other skills and I see it and I recognize it my tendency is to say wow that's great Jeff's really trying like he really must want this conversation to go well it only demonstrates good intent when you use the skills and that's why the ability to have people on both sides of the conversation having those skills only makes it more powerful you know it makes me think a lot this is maybe a lame analogy but I always go to games how can I not do it here a little bit of chess going on here, right? You could, everybody can just kind of learn how the pieces move, but more experienced chess players start to learn the openings, the traditional opening. opening they start to even memorize them. There right. probably are mnemonics and uh, involved in that. But it, it, in fact, makes the game of chess better, more intelligent when both players understand kind of the opening back and forth moves. You can see what the other's doing, and others can observe third party and, and be smarter about the pattern recognition of what's happening on the board, or in this case, in the boardroom. Absolutely. Well, again, it's a book I truly recommend to everyone listening right now. I come at it as just a fellow wayfarer on the path of life, not somebody who is trained. I can't remember all the acronyms, but I remember one thing. It's a great guide to doing something we do every day better. And even if you can't keep it all in your head or if you kind of learn one play at a time, you will be better and the world will be better for you as a fellow human doing crucial conversations better. So, Emily, I want to thank you and your organization because I just think it's it's wonderful. And I want to give you a chance. Obviously, if people are interested in more here, I think there's the book. It's called Crucial Conversations. This is Authors in August, and this is the closing round of interviews, in this case, around this book. But, Emily, behind the book, there's a company, Vital Smarts, and I think vitalsmarts.com. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the book, like you said, David, is a fantastic place to place to start. If you want to go deeper, practice more, take the training, you can go to www.vitalsmarts.com. Also, actually, in the back of the book has lots of links to training resources. Some of them are our courses, which you can take, but there are also a lot of free resources on our website as well. So I encourage uh, readers and listeners who'd like to learn more to check it out. 
So thank you, Dr. Emily Hoffman. I didn't go with that at the start, but I think Jeff told me he learned this in training. Jeff, she started as? Well, she was a BA in English. Awesome. Then a medical doctor. Okay. Then an MBA. And now speaker extraordinaire. <laughs> so talk about your renaissance woman. Here you go. Spectacular, Emily. I'm embarrassed that I didn't lead off with that, but I love that journey as a fellow English major. I always love to see what we end up doing in life. Jeff Heslow, thank you very much for joining you, us David. my co-interview this month and sharing your perspective and making this conversation, I'm going to say, less crucial in that traditional sense, but crucially more crucial for your participation. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you, Jeff. All right. Well, thank you again to Emily and to Jeff and to you for sticking with us all the way through August. As I mentioned at the top, we have our mailbag extra coming out this weekend. You can be part of our mailbag, the email address, rbi at fool.com. Of course, you can tweet us at RBI Podcast. And as I mentioned at the start, do it immediately upon hearing this if you want to be considered, because we are recording that within 24 hours of publishing this week's podcast. So don't be shy. And thanks again for joining us this week. May all your crucial conversations be more successful. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com. 